In the name of the Father, and the Son, and God's Holy Spirit, one God. Amen. <clears throat> my, uh, my colleague, Adam, talks about going a few years ago with his wife to visit their adult daughter back in New York. Um, she apparently wanted to go hiking in the Catskills, and so not too long after they arrived, they went off to one of her favorite spots. But they hadn't walked for more than 10 minutes when Adam had to sit down. He was winded. He couldn't catch his breath. He wasn't having a heart attack, mind you. Um, he was just seriously out of shape. Over 35 years, um, he had watched his weight slowly increase and his level of health slowly decline. Back in college, when he was all of 18, he weighed 175. On the day of the hike, he weighed 208. <clears throat> his cholesterol was too high. His triglycerides as well. Uh, a scan revealed not long afterwards that he had plaque in his arteries. He really hadn't exercised since his college days. He wanted to be able to keep up with his daughter. Um, so he determined that he was going to try to get in better shape. His wife told him about this seven-minute workout app. He thought to himself, well, even I can do seven minutes. So he started that. Uh, soon that grew to 14 minutes and then longer. Um, he soon began to eat better. And over the course of another, the next year, he lost most of that weight he had spent 35 years putting on. His resting heart rate went down, as did his blood levels. Um, he just felt better overall. In fact, he said that the last time he and his daughter went hiking, he had to slow down uh, so that she could catch up. So we're thinking this fall about walking. A lot of you are participating in Walk to Bethlehem and doing quite well. Uh, we are walking to Bethlehem collectively and well on our way, we are walking with Jesus through the Gospel of Mark. This morning, I want to suggest to you that our spiritual health is very much like our physical health. And that is, without spiritual exercises, um, we simply cannot keep up with Jesus. We cannot go where he wants to lead us. We become spiritually stagnant. We may exhibit less kindness or compassion. God may seem more distant. We find ourselves worrying more, trusting God less. And our thoughts begin to revolve more and more around ourselves. So we're thinking together this fall about four core exercises for the soul. We began last week talking about worship really um, the appropriate response for the creature to the creator. Now, we humans are not the only ones who need to worship. Birds need to sing. Stars can't help but shine. But you and I, humans, we have been given a choice as to whether we will be thankful. There is a private dimension, to be sure, about our worship. But worship is also corporate. We are companions on the journey, to quote the title 
for our adult series right now. The spiritual journey is inherently communal. If I begin to think it is all about me and God, frankly, I have lost my way completely. <clears throat> so the second spiritual uh, exercise that we want to focus on today is study. Intentionally continuing to grow spiritually. Look, you know as well as I do that there is a thing in the church called the confirmation syndrome. It doesn't matter what denomination you are a part of. It goes like this. As soon as that you are finished with that class in eighth or ninth grade that your mother or father insisted you had to go to, you think that you have arrived. It's so interesting, isn't it? Because we continue to grow physically. We continue to grow intellectually. Hopefully, we continue to grow emotionally some a little faster than others, um, but we give little or no thought to growing, continuing to grow spiritually, and the result of that is what? At some point, we find ourselves confronted with adult issues that we never even thought about when we were younger, and all we have to draw on is a childlike faith. It is no wonder, then, that a lot of adults assume that religion is for children. It is just childish. So this morning I want to think with you about how do we continue to experience God in our life? How do I continue to discern God's will in my life? Well, of course, there are many different ways to do that. Earlier this fall, for example, we, uh, in our adult study, we were reading Harper Lee's wonderful classic, To Kill a Mockingbird. And the assumption uh, beneath that course was that God sometimes speaks to us through culture. So God speaks to us through books and music and movies. You know, as well as I do, that sometimes God speaks through other people, people who comfort us, forgive us, accept us for who we really are. Also, people who confront us and challenge us. God speaks through people. And of course, God speaks to us through nature. Look, I have camped on the beaches along Lake Michigan and underneath the stars. I know the heavens are telling the glory of God. I know this. I have walked along a dirt road in Michigan in the fall, surrounded by the master artist's palette of colors. I know for everything there is a season. I have looked out over the mountain ranges of Rocky Mountain National Park and Acadia in Maine, and I have sung, O Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made. I know this. But the deeper truth is that nature may open the door of my heart, but there is more to following Jesus in my spiritual journey if I want my journey to be more than just a casual walk in the park. So this morning I want to remind you of a wonderful gift, a gift that we were given hundreds of years ago by John Wesley, the founder of Methodism. Later on we went, to call, we went on to call this the Wesleyan quadrilateral. Wesley said there are four ways that along our, our lives, in our spiritual journeys, we can continue to ascertain God's will and God's presence in our lives. Four legs. The first of those is scripture. 
It is simply the case that if you want to follow Jesus, if you really want to be along a spiritual journey with him, you have to get to know the man who walks the pages of the New Testament. I am constantly amazed how many very well-intentioned, good Christians develop all kinds of opinions about personal and social issues, things that they feel very passionately about, and they have never asked the question, what does the Bible have to say about this? For example, the Bible doesn't give us an immigration policy for America in 2020, but it has a great deal to say about how you treat the foreigner in your midst. For example, Americans have very different opinions about abortion. And many might assume that the Bible uh, would side primarily with those who are pro-life versus those who are pro-choice. In reality, the Bible assumes that life begins at birth, not at conception. Now, that's not the end of that story, so hold whatever thoughts it is that you may be thinking at this moment, because I'm going to come back to that. But the point is, as Christians, you must begin with Scripture. Two mistaken assumptions that people today make about the good book. The first of those is that we worship it, ascribing to the Bible glory that belongs only to God. We do not worship the Bible. We worship a living, breathing God to whom the Bible is our star witness. This is a very important distinction. It is one that Bible-believing churches often do not make. So Martin Luther, the great reformer, was right when he referred to the scriptures as the manger in which Christ lies. The Bible is not Jesus. The wise men did not come to Bethlehem to worship the manger. On the other hand, they could never have found the child without first coming to the manger. So the other assumption that we make about the good book is on the other end of that continuum, we ignore it. This unspoken, equally misguided mistake that many progressive Christians make, saying that the Bible is outdated, it's irrelevant, or just as likely that they're worried it might hold a more conservative view than they would like to hold. So let's be clear. It is not okay to say that gays and lesbians should be elders and deacons in the church, should be able to marry in the church without ever having asked the question, what does the Bible say about this? That's why, over the course of years, we have had so many classes about the Bible and homosexuality, or about spirituality and sexuality. Again, this is not where the story ends. But for Christians, it is where it begins, scripture. The second leg of the quadrilateral is tradition. All Saints Day is not only a time for us to fondly remember those who have gone on before us. It is that. We remember Jean and Wilma and Dave and Tom and Jerry and Gloria, and John, just to name a few great greenfielders in the place that they always sat in this very sanctuary. 
It is that. But it is also our annual reminder, we are not the first ones to walk this path. Others have gone before us, and they have wisdom to share with us. But in our live only for the present, and only the new improved is valued type of society, that wisdom of the ages is often discounted. Really, if you're not the quickest one on the computer in the room, do you have anything of value to share with us at all? This is why when we ordain elders and deacons in the church, there is a question about whether you will be guided by the confessions of the church. The confessions include creeds and catechisms for hundreds and hundreds of years. You are not asked whether you believe everything and when you will adhere to everything. I don't believe all those things. But we do have to harvest that knowledge. We don't have to make all the mistakes ourselves as though we're the first ones to blaze this trail. Furthermore, we can derive hope from realizing we have been through difficult times before. We have found our way to brighter days. So we begin with scripture and then tradition. The third leg of the quadrilateral is reason. Put simply, God gave you a brain. You should use it. It is unlikely that you will ever outthink God. There are far too many people in the church and outside the church who honestly believe that reason and faith are at odds with one another. People in the church who are anti-science. If you don't think this is an issue in our society during this political campaign, I don't know where you have been. There are people, legislators in Lansing, who really want to make creationism taught in the public schools as a viable way that the world came into being. That is not only bad science, that is lousy theology. There are people who spend millions of dollars building museums proposing that Adam and Eve walked with the dinosaurs. Many people who want to try to figure out how evolution fits into the first six days of creation in Genesis 1. You know, if only a day could be a billion years. It is all misguided, all of it. Look, the reality is you and I in the 21st century, we know some things that the people who wrote the Bible didn't know. The earth is, is not flat. Did you know that? The sun does not actually revolve uh, around the earth. Many of the demons that Jesus cast out in his day, today we call psychological disorders. And there are God-given meds and wonderful therapists who can help us with those things. And here's where we go back to the pro-life, pro-choice. The reality is we know things about life in the womb today and when life is viable that they did not know back then. Now, there is, of course, the opposite extreme because there are those who are so wedded to science that they write off faith and the life of the spirit altogether. They actually think if something uh, can't be proven by science, it doesn't exist. They have never stopped to think that even the scientific method 
cannot be proven by the scientific method. And the point is, this is dangerous. When it comes to the world of genetics, just because we can do something does not mean that we should do it. When it comes to engineering and global warming, just because we can drill in some place doesn't mean that we should. And those are not primarily scientific issues. They are ethical issues. The point is, it is never one or the other. Science gives us the how. Only religion gives us the why. This is the realm of faith and the spiritual life. Scripture, tradition, reason. And the final leg of the quadrilateral is experience. That is, the people and the events that come into our lives, sometimes randomly, often providentially. So to believe in God, the Holy Spirit, not just God the Father, not just God the Son, God the Holy Spirit is to trust that the same God who was involved in creation, the same Spirit that was alive in Jesus, is still alive, creating in the world, in you and in me. That doesn't mean that all experience is equally good, and you should just, you know, if it feels good, do it. I have shared before, uh, a number of years ago, we took Molly and Mariah to a Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young concert. I think it was out at the palace. And there was this moment where they sang, love the one you're with. And I realized that that sounds very different when you are in your college room with your friends versus as a parent sitting there with your two young daughters. So um, experience by itself, of course, is not enough. But as part of the quadrilateral, it adds an essential element to the spiritual walk. And that, it turns out, is biblical. In the 10th chapter of the book of Acts, Simon Peter has a dream in which he sees all of these animals that are forbidden for him to eat. He clearly hears a voice saying, kill and eat, and he is mortified because he knows that the Torah and his tradition would forbid this. Sometime after, he realizes there is another dimension to his dream. He gets word that he is to go and visit a man by the name of Cornelius, a Roman centurion who is apparently seeking to know more about Jesus. Simon Peter listens to that voice. He goes and visits Cornelius, again, a Gentile, he's not one of the chosen people, the Torah would forbid this, he goes and he discovers that the Spirit of God is indeed alive in Cornelius and his family, and Simon Peter winds up baptizing all of them, which is the beginning of a very difficult period for Peter and for the church in their walk with Jesus, trying to figure out who should be included as companions on the journey. You and I, Gentiles, would not be here this morning if he hadn't listened to that voice, that experience, and been willing to wrestle with what the Bible and his tradition told him in light of this new information. So, four legs, scripture, tradition, reason, and experience. Not one or the other, but all of these together. Sometimes in unison, 
often in tension with one another. So after worship and prayer, if we really want to walk with God, if we really want to be the people that God wants us to be, we have to listen. We have to pay attention to all four of these. With the constant noise of life bombarding us, like these political commercials that we cannot wait to get by, it can be very hard to hear the voice of God. But when we pay attention, when we listen to all of these, we may find God speaking to us in so many ways at every stage of our lives until one day you and I will gather with all those saints together around the table and we will sing to God with glory. Amen.